electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Deirdre Bosa. Carl is off. Today, chips, cybersecurity, and Chinese tech. We've got earnings from Applied Materials, Palo Alto Network, and JD.com. What comments by those CEOs signal about the current state of demand? Plus, Elizabeth Holmes awaits sentencing after being convicted on four felony counts. We're live outside what used to be the biggest scandal in Silicon Valley before last week. And then the tech layoffs continue and could continue into 2023. Amazon and Roku both trying to rein in costs as only what Elon Musk calls hardcore employees remain at Twitter. Good morning, John. Let's start with some of those layoffs. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy writing a letter to employees saying the company is making the, quote, difficult decision to eliminate a number of positions across our devices and books businesses. And that some layoffs could continue into next year. Others receiving buyout offers. Meanwhile, Roku cutting 7 percent of its staff. That impacts about 200 employees. Despite the wave of layoffs, John, we've been talking about them at length, though. This is some perspective. Morgan Stanley has a new note writing that these job cuts are not the canary in the coal mine and they reflect company specific issues rather than macro trends. They argue, John, that these job cuts that we're seeing here, especially here in Silicon Valley, where I am, won't move the needle in terms of economic data. And yes, they say the information sector accounts for only 3 million workers. That's less than 1.5% of total payrolls. But We know very well, especially in a place like San Francisco, that has an effect on other businesses around the city in the Bay Area. So we may not see the full effect just yet. Well, you know, I think there's a pretty good chance that Morgan Stanley is exactly wrong, that this is not the canary in the coal mine. Because if I remember this metaphor correctly, you have a canary in a coal mine, so you know if the air is starting to get bad, if the canary, the little canary dies and it's like, uh uh-oh, Time to get out of here, right? Yeah, and and so it's not so much that just these uh, tech sector layoffs are gonna have a big macro impact. To me, it's the fact that this is happening based on what's already gone on in 2022. Mm -hmm. We're not even talking about Q4 yet, how the consumer is going to spend or not, or what 2023 is going to look like. So to me, when Andy Jassy is saying, hey, these layoffs, we're not gonna get them all done necessarily in Q4, we'll see what next year looks like, Yeah, it's a canary in a coal mine. Don't think that all these companies are done. We have to see how uh, this very important Q4 and the inventory situation, the beginning of 2023 looks. But it it really speaks to how difficult this macro backdrop, the softening one, is to parse through. I mean, yes, we have layoffs at Amazon's corporate side, but in terms of factory workers, right, they're still adding for the holiday season. So there is that divide between white-collar and blue-collar workers. And certainly here where I am, it's a lot of white-collar workers, though. I was out for dinner last night in San Francisco, and it was busy. The restaurant was completely packed. It felt like sort of pre-pandemic days. Yeah. So we uh, haven't quite seen that yet. And, and there's a definitely a lot of pent-up demand for getting out of the house. These things don't happen 
all at once. Let's turn now to Palo Alto Networks, one of the top movers in the NASDAQ 100 this morning. After delivering a beat across the board in fiscal Q1, raising guidance for the year ahead, CEO Nikesh Arora sharing his outlook for the cyber sector in an interview with Mad Money last night. Take a listen. Cybersecurity is a secular gift that is going to keep on giving. We just have to be able to continue to execute in the market. And let's hope that our customers don't take the eye of the ball and don't get distracted by the macroeconomic environment to say, oh, I don't need to prioritize security because security needs to be continued to be prioritized. Aurora adding that the company is accelerating its cost-cutting measures, but despite customers being more cautious right now, no signs of a drop-off in cyber spending heading into year-end. D, I'm, though, remembering back to some interviews we've done over the past few weeks, and one of the things that stuck with me on metrics was how net revenue retention can shift Mm -hmm. just because of what's happening in the macro. People might still want cybersecurity, but some of these companies that are selling it on a per-seat basis um, or selling it based on consumption, if the overall economy is slowing down, if these uh, customer our companies are not adding employees as quickly as they were, then they can mm-hmm. be just as committed to that cybersecurity software, but not growing their spend on it at the rate that might have been expected. And I think investors need to prepare for that. That's a great point, And that's what a lot of VCs here tend to look at, too, that ARR metric. And, you know, Nikesh Aurora himself said that they are seeing some marginal signs of impact. He pointed to cybersecurity deals getting more scrutiny, deeper and longer reviews of these sort of transformational projects. Yes, they are transformational. But as you say, John, maybe we're just starting to see some of those cracks now. And we know that the next few quarters are going to be difficult as well as the Fed, you know, continues to raise interest rates and say that they need to see a bit more pain for the consumer and businesses. Let's get more on not only Palo Alto Networks quarter, but the look at the entire enterprise software and cybersecurity space. Let's bring in Cohesity CEO Sanjay Poonin. Sanjay, good to see you uh, on a Friday. Uh, tell me first off, I, I know, you know Cohesity uh, also dealing in the security uh, ransomware uh, backup space, but what do you see happening with deals and what do you make of what I'm trying to figure out on net revenue retention? The idea that those numbers can come down even if your customers are still just as committed because maybe your employee, your customers aren't growing headcount and consumption as much as they were? Yeah, I think uh, there's no, as Jeff Bezos said, there's no compression algorithm for experience. I think you saw that today in both Palo Alto, sorry, this week in Palo Alto and Cisco's earnings. Uh, I think Dacacia Rover is running one of the best companies. Um, they've, and you've also, there's no compression algorithm for great products. Uh, I was pleased to see you know, products like Expanse. I was an investor in Expanse uh, years ago, doing really well in that nearly nine-figure deal with DOD. So cybersecurity, as he pointed out, is a secular trend. Um, if you're authentic with great products, uh, Cisco announced earlier today, they, earlier this week, they have Duo, that's a great product. Um, and then I think to your key metric, um, these are metrics that you have to look over the arc of several quarters. Uh, whether it's ARR, whether it's net revenue retention, whether it's the other aspects of growth or margin rule of 40. And in many of those metrics, uh, especially Palo Alto, 25% growth um, and 20% operating margins, they are well of rule of 45. At their scale, six, seven billion, they're executing very well. Those metrics sort of, you know, blend themselves out over a multi-quarter period. Uh, We're also going to get some insights from Intel's 
head of data center and AI a little bit later on in the hour. I spoke to her last night, but uh, part of that had to do with hyperscaler spending and how perhaps with the macro slowing down, they're already starting to rein in some of their spending on infrastructure. That could have an impact in 23. How much of an impact, since we've seen so much power among a few players uh, in cloud infrastructure, how much impact would a slowdown in hyperscaler spending have on enterprise software? If you looked at the, this was a couple of weeks ago at the earnings of AWS and Azure and Google, Google somewhat held a quarter or a quarter, but uh, both AWS and Azure slowed. But let's be clear, uh, AWS, even at that sort of mid to high 20s growth, you know, had 20 billion in revenue in the last quarter. That's like producing one Adobe in a quarter. Uh, so this is huge, just law of large numbers. And I think what's happening at customers is they're throttling back some of their spending. It's a little bit, you know, cloud computing is elastic. It's like keeping a light on or off. If they feel like they need to use less capacity, they're going to pull it back. Maybe some of their big enterprise EDPs, as they call it, they scale back. Uh, but I still think the trend is inevitable move to the cloud. That's certainly what we're watching at Cohesity: cloud, data, and security. These are three segments, I think, that are seeming mm-hmm. to hold strong, even as the valuations have come down quite a bit. Yeah, Sanjay, these are very large numbers and the move to the cloud feels inevitable. But as John likes to say, there's different kinds of cloud and maybe we're past the first innings for infrastructure. How willing are enterprises to spend on sort of the second layer on things like DevOps and cybersecurity? Um, Obviously, that's remained very resilient. But I guess the question is, could we see more of a slowdown? Even Amazon coming down from 20 percent was a big, you know, jump down from what it previously was notching. Is the market prepared for more? Yeah, I think you make a good point. I mean, that layer of infrastructure, platform, and apps, those are the three layers of cloud. Uh, In infrastructure, over time, it's going to get extremely competitive, commoditized. That's good for customers uh, as compute, storage, and networking, you know, get more or less sort of, you know, much less differentiated. But at that platform layer, especially data services, I watch what Snowflake, what MongoDB, what Confluent, what Datadog, Many of them are partners driving in AWS. AWS and Azure have some of their own services. Google certainly plays in that with BigQuery. And then I'm watching very closely what they do at the SaaS layer. Uh, only Microsoft has Office 365. Um, you know, maybe there's M&A that AWS and Google consider to get bulk up as valuations come down. Um, so I think there's certainly going to be a lot more layer in the platform and security. And then horizontally across all of them, sort of in sectors like what we played for easily, security ties across all of those layers. Um, I expect them. Microsoft's the only one of those three that's announced a very strong portfolio in security. Of course, Google, most recently with the acquisition of Mandiant, we're partnering closely with them. We'll have to see how they proceed in security. Yeah, a lot of game left to play. Sanjay, thank you. Good to see you. Sanjay Pune. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Let's turn to the broader tech sector. Our next guest saying patience is key in a bear market and investors should let the volatility serve up bargains. One tech stock he is really bullish on right now, Taiwan Semi. Here to discuss, Wedgwood Partner CAO David Rolf. David, um, first let me get you to weigh in on the conversation that John and I were having at the start of the show. In terms of these layoffs we're seeing in tech, particularly here in the Bay Area, Morgan Stanley says it's not a canary in the coal mine. How do you see it? Maybe it's not a canary in a coal mine for the broad U.S. economy, but I think it's going to be very significant in the greater Silicon Valley um, industry. I, you know, we had look at how many years we had of zero percent financing, free capital that was open, free running, and uh, the employment growth at these companies was just—I mean, it's really hard to fathom. And I think that 
we we may be looking at in the near future we may be looking at at um aggregate unemployment figures x silicon valley so uh but i think some of these companies are are just getting started and yeah. maybe uh, again maybe twitter might be a little bit of a microcosm in that if you can cut back a lot of folks and still you know keep the trains running on, on time um maybe that's a little bit of an inkling for other companies but you know, we own some tech wow. stocks who, that have already announced significant layoffs. We're probably in the early innings of that. That definitely remains to be seen, whether the trains can be kept running, David. Um, but your point is well taken. I mean, Twitter and Salesforce, two companies, you know, downtown San Francisco that are we're seeing layoffs at that are going to affect the broader economy. Let's get to your Taiwan semi pick. Um, Berkshire Hathaway also likes the company. What do you like about it? And how are you viewing that China risk? Well, our, our our thesis on Taiwan Semi, I, I, we we call it you know a couple of things uh, that we think it's one of probably arguably the most important company in the world. We think it, it's interestingly enough, it's probably one of the most significant companies, much less technology companies, that a lot of people don't own. I mean, it's an ADR. It's not in any of the in the S and P five hundred. It's in none of the benchmarks. And um, and in terms of uh, what's going on with China, again, word from the company is that they believe it's manageable. There's certain changes that, that they can make. There's also other demands where they can shift some of that production. But um, we're looking at, we're, you know, we're in the early innings of this too. And um, we'll see as the year progresses. We're taking the company at its word that, it, again, it is manageable. And there's some demand, other demands where they can, they can shift some production. So TSMC is well off of its lows when it dipped um, below 40 uh, a few weeks ago, and, and it's back, you know, around, um, you know, 54, 55 area. How much of uh, what you're looking at where TSMC is concerned, and I hope I have that right, how much of what you're looking at has to do with TM, TSMC specifically versus the importance of advanced node chip manufacturing? And so how do you play the... Um, the desire now for onshoring, for friendshoring of that? How much does it matter, the share of U.S. manufacturing that TSMC gets and the amount of traction that Intel gets if that plan works out? Well, it's all part of the mix on how we're thinking about, uh, John, advanced technologies here. Certainly, you know, uh, uh, N7, N5 are the big uh, profit drivers. High-performance computing is, is, is a big a performance driver either here in the United States or internationally. I think also what might be somewhat underappreciated is that, you know, they're ramping up pretty pretty darn quickly here, the next generation three nanometer, 3N, and their big competitor is Samsung. And it, it looks like Samsung is going to be, their latest and greatest is probably going to be used largely in-house with their own products. And so um, Taiwan Semi, I mean, they, they're going to have open field running in this latest, um, in the next generation technology, they've already announced price increases of, of about uh, 22%. And our view is that this is an, an incredibly capital intensive business, not unlike the railroads in which Buffett owns, right. but here's the difference. I mean, you don't have a regulator outside, of course, market forces, cyclicality, but here's a business that's generating cash flow returns on investment of 45% on enormous capital expenditures. And again, you know, you know, the likes of, well, Intel and, and Apple and, 
and NVIDIA, AMD, Qualcomm. I mean, they their latest and greatest isn't even possible without the size, scale, and scope of uh, of, of Taiwan Semi. You're right, right. The stock has bounced off the lows, but it's John. It, you know, it's only trading about 13, 14 times next year's earnings. Um, and the chart and we're, we're putting on the screen, yeah, shows it uh, above uh, 81 bucks a share. I was I was looking at kind of the wrong uh, ticker there, but yes, directionally the the, the chart looks right. as I said. And so, uh, what what does all this mean for enterprise? There's some mixed signals about the health, I think, of the enterprise overall. Spending seems to be going well in a lot of different areas, but it seems to me like enterprise to some extent lags consumer. And so uh, at, at what point do you look and want to see whether weakness in consumer spending uh, ends up translating into weakness in enterprise demand in a quarter or two? Yeah, great question. Certainly we know the PC market is just terrible right now and it, and it could bleed over. But we always ask ourselves, John, what's in the stock? And you again, the stock got ahead of itself, uh, no question about it. But when you see how low it's gotten, I mean, at the low, it was trading about 10 times earnings. Um, it was basically pricing in earnings growth, basically just flat over, over calendar 2023. And that still may come to pass. But we think there's a lot of bad news in that, including your, your thesis that this could bleed over into the enterprise. We think that's in the stock. Mm -hmm. Numbers have come down. We think we're probably more at an inflection point here where we may see net-net numbers going higher and the market is going to start to digest early 2024, we think most of 2023 is in the price already. Hmm. David, it's always great to get your insights. Thank you, and have a good weekend. Thank you. You do. Meanwhile, you do John, um, Carvana just announcing that it's laying off 1,500 employees. That's about 8% of its workforce. That is a stock that is down 90% year to date. Um, the CEO says that the company failed to accurately predict how this would all play out. Yeah. Well, check your canaries, everybody. After the break, the CEO of crypto exchange Kraken is with us as those around the industry try to uh, deal with rumors and fears of contagion. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. In the wake of the FTX fallout, crypto balance sheets, or lack of them, are in focus. Exchanges have conducted proof-of-reserves audits to confirm their crypto stores to users and regulators. Crypto exchange Kraken revealed they held $19 billion in Bitcoin and Ether from an audit conducted last December and expanded the audit further in August, but this still doesn't reveal the full extent of their balance sheet. The same auditing firm, Armanino LLP, gave FTX USA 
a clean bill of health. Joining us now, incoming Kraken CEO Dave Ripley. Dave, good morning and thanks for being with us. Let me start right here. Is a partial audit once a year enough to really restore trust in this climate and for those that are arguing for more transparency like you are? Yeah, thanks, Deirdre. It's a great question. You know, first of all, uh, you know, our, we really feel for all of the uh, FTX clients and, and customers out there impacted by this and, you know, the contagion likely will continue. And, you know, frankly, this is, you know, not just poor risk management, but but outright fraud on uh, behalf of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, to your question on uh, proof of reserves, you know, it's, it's of course, one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but, you know, we think, you know, at Kraken, it's really a holistic commitment to security and to protecting our clients' funds. That's our, our one of our top priorities. And uh, yes, the proof of reserves is absolutely a, a piece of that. We've, uh, you know, implemented that long ago. We've done two this year and we continue to grow it. But, you know, I do think there's uh, a need for really a holistic approach and commitment uh, to customer funds. We don't, you know, we're not exposed to FTX. We're not exposed to uh, Genesis or Voyager or BlockFi or any right. of these other uh, companies in the space. And so I think it's really a holistic approach that's necessary. Okay, Dave, you talk about a holistic approach, but your audit is only partial. As we mentioned, that 2021 audit only covered two-thirds of reserves on your platform. If you are committing to better transparency, can customers ex expect to see full balance sheets or audits under your leadership? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the trajectory we're on, uh, for sure. You know, we're, we continue to expand the uh, proof of reserves. Uh, as you noted, you know, we continue to expand the coverage across our balance sheet. It's, you know, a, a mechanism. When can they that expect we, that? Can they expect uh, it for this year's audit? Uh, for, for the for the end of this year? You know, I, I don't have like a specific timeline for you, unfortunately, but you definitely can need expect it. timelines though? You know, especially in this moment when you guys are trying to build trust, you know, yeah. what's holding back a full audit of your reserves? You know, again, we've been in this space for a long time, for for a decade now, and so we've you know continued to to invest in security all throughout. And I mean, again, it's it's an approach that, uh, as you noted, I mean, the proof of reserves is is only one component of you know investing in clients, and we think it's a critical component. It's one that we've you know invested in, and we're going to continue to invest in and, and grow over the time over time. Uh, Dave, I'm concerned that investors might get the wrong idea even about what proof of reserves even tells you. It, it appears right now you don't have to have direct exposure to FTX to be badly hurt by FTX. Looking at Gemini, Gemini is getting hurt because of their exposure to Genesis, right, which had limited exposure to FTX. So um, you can end up without access to your crypto and your funds, not because yeah. of a direct relationship, but because of a relationship with a relationship with a relationship. How do you untangle yeah. all that? Yeah, this is this is a great point. I mean, this is this is how trusted third parties often operate, and frankly, op operate in the financial services industry. I mean, Kraken, we've we've broke the mold on this. We don't have exposure to any of these, uh, you know, other counterparties in the the cryptocurrency industry. We custody all of our our own our own cryptocurrency. But I'll I'll just say, like, you know, how do we how do we untangle all of this? I mean, I think it's cryptocurrency. You know, ironically. This is a, a moment here that reinforces the case for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I mean, in no other no other point in history is it possible to take kind of digital ownership and self-custody your own funds. I got to disagree with you. 
I mean, doesn't this strengthen the case for just having dollars? I mean, if you if you just had some cash in your account, you could put that in CDs right now and on a three month yeah. CD, get four percent. If you yeah. were hoping for if you were holding crypto, right, holding Bitcoin and lending it out to somebody thinking you were getting seven percent, you can't even yeah. get your principal back. That's not a That's a great case. question. Let's talk about the traditional financial services industry. Do you remember Bear Stearns? Do you remember Lehman? Do you remember the contagion that would have continued? And the American people had to come in to the tune of trillions of dollars to basically bail out the contagion of the traditional financial services industry. This is what Bitcoin was founded upon, kind of removing the need for these trusted third parties. And so we see a bright future. Uh, this is, you know, another example of, you know, frankly, someone a fraudster that came from traditional financial services and, you know, tried to infect the cryptocurrency industry. And so we don't have any place for, you know, people like this in, in the cryptocurrency industry. Okay, Dave, I just want to come back to your balance sheet, though, and your business. The auditor that you use, or the accounting firm, rather, to do your partial auditor, audit is Arminino. That's also the auditor of FTX's U.S. unit. FTX's new CEO said about the company, quote, a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. That's not exactly an endorsement of any auditor involved with the company. Will you stay with them? Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. We'll, we'll, we'll assess the, uh, we'll assess, you know, we, we've worked with multiple auditors over time and we'll certainly assess the, uh, you know, the use of this auditor versus other ones going forward. You know, the truth is there's only so many auditors that actually have expertise in the cryptocurrency industry. Uh, and that's something that we'd, we'd like to see kind of continued growth among the audit community to gain this ex expertise in the cryptocurrency industry and be able to conduct these types of audits. Right. And then last question to you. So can we expect a proof of reserves from Kraken for the current year? Um, you know, again, I'm not sure of the next one. We just completed one this summer. And so we, we've been on it about a every six month clip. And so, yeah, I, I think the next one should be coming in, you know, the not too distant future at this point in time. Dave, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a good weekend. Yeah, great. Thanks so much. Still to come this hour, SoftBank's Massasan personally owes the company nearly $5 billion. And we want to get a check on the markets as we close out the trading week. The Nasdaq flat. Dow Jones up about six-tenths of a percent. The S&P up four-tenths of a percent. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with John Fort. In just a little bit, we will take you live outside the court in San Jose as Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes awaits her sentencing after being convicted on four felony counts. First, let's get a news update with Contessa Brewer. Contessa, morning. Deirdre, thank you. Here's what's happening right now. Existing home sales fell for a ninth consecutive month. They dropped nearly 6% in October, which is slightly better than expected. The number of homes on the market also shrank despite the sales slowdown. There is barely a three-month supply of homes at the current sales level. That's roughly half the amount considered normal in a balanced market. Foot Locker giving back much of its gains after posting strong results and raising guidance. The stock shot up 18% at the opening bell, but now it's up 8%. The company says solid demand outlook and good inventory levels will help it weather uncertain economic conditions. 
And Canada says it will sell bonds to help support Ukraine. 500 million Canadian dollars of Ukraine sovereignty bonds will be issued later this month. Canada is the first country to raise money for Ukraine with a bond offering. All right, John, I'll send it back to you. All right, Contessa, thank you. Turning back to big tech and cost cuts, our next guest asking if Google can get out of its own way on headcount. This comes as Meta and now Amazon, Roku and others become the latest companies to lay off employees. Joining us now, Bernstein's Mark Schmulik. Mark, um, these companies hired a lot heading into this period. So how does that set the context for the cuts we see now? Yeah, um, you know, hiring has certainly ballooned. Uh, I think it's clear across tech uh, coming, you know, out of the pandemic, everyone believed a lot of those trends were durable, sustainable and, and kind of hired and planned accordingly. Um, you know, what we've seen from, from Meta and certainly something investors have been long been asking for is trimming, um, you know, some of those overhires. Uh, same thing happening right now with Amazon as, you know, ambitions kind of get reined in. You know, and the last one standing that, that really hasn't kind of gone through of least big tech on the layoff side is Google. You know, and Google hired a record amount of people, um, you know, these last two quarters, up to 12,500 new hires this past quarter alone. And so they've kind of gone, you know, in the opposite direction at the moment, um, just in terms of the number of new people that they've brought in. My argument, Mark, and tell me if you think this is right, is that these cuts are not based on bad times. They're based on times not turning out to be as good as people hoped uh, at the end of last year, really. And if we are indeed entering bad times, as some signals right now indicate, there might have to be further cuts and investors should think about that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, right? These are growth companies or historically have been growth companies. And so, you know, they've always hired on this promise of, you know, future build out, future innovation, um, and effectively have kind of staffed up as such as the cost of capital has gone up, as top line growth has kind of disappeared. And the other kind of new wrinkle in this environment is that nobody's leaving. There's there's nowhere else to go. And so attrition's at probably record low levels for many of these companies. And so they're sitting here with a bunch of kind of headcount with a lot of initiatives uh, with a payback period probably beyond you know, the, the payback period, I think both investors and even internally, these companies are now looking for. Right. Um, Mark, I'm sure you saw the TCI letter to Alphabet uh, talking about making a number of the changes that you're yourself talking about. Um, in it, they talked about Waymo in its other bets category. They say that it has not justified its excessive investment and its losses should be reduced dramatically. Do you believe that Waymo hasn't justified its investment? Is it an important technology for Google to be leading in the years ahead? You know, Waymo is an interesting one and certainly one I think that gets a lot of visibility given the, the spend on that initiative alone. Um, you know, there's certainly competition in the space like Cruise that's kind of become commercial and gone to market. You know, I, I think even outside of the big bets, there's plenty of initiatives there that, you know, in a different environment, you could certainly understand why a company like Google built on disruption wants to ensure they continually evolve and disrupt. Um, you know, but even inside of the core business, you've got products and projects in there like Google Fiber. You know, do they need to be in the fiber mm -hmm. build out business? Um, you know, that they're certainly putting quite a bit of money to work on. So then what do you think should be on the chopping block? I mean, there's obviously this risk that if Google scales back too much, they risk not being in on the next generation technologies. How do you rank Fiber versus Waymo versus Verily versus some of the others, Stadia, which it did cut? Yeah, I think the one thing we've seen uh, from Google in particular is, uh, you know, there's even websites out there dedicated to the Google graveyard. So they've certainly got 
milestones and checks and balances that when something doesn't hit uh, a particular adoption curve or, you know, a return on investment curve, uh, you know, they, they shut it down like Stadia recently. Um, you know, what we have seen, though, is as they shut down some of these projects, they effectively keep the headcount and deploy them to other parts of the business. Uh, and in a different environment, you certainly have the right to do so. What I would imagine is going to happen is as they look at these initiatives, um, you know, they're going to shrink or, or steepen the requirements required to keep investment levels going. And I think the TCI letter, the current environment, what we've seen with peers, you know, if there was ever a time for them to get a little bit more serious on taking cost out or winding some of these initiatives down, uh, there's probably never been a time with more cover uh, than we have right now. And Mark, it, it seems to me that it, it's important to note more money isn't always better for young initiatives, right? Sometimes you give a team too much money, they just sort of spend it. Kind of like investors giving them too much money, they sort of deploy it maybe in things that they shouldn't. So how do you measure across these companies the quality of discipline? And not saying that they should stop investing in self-driving or that Facebook meta should stop investing in the metaverse, but should you be spending more than $10 billion a year on it at this point? You know, and I, I think that's the uh, the trillion dollar question that we've certainly seen hit these companies and, and their valuations. You know, I kind of struggle and I've got two minds of this where, you know, if these were privately run companies, not out in kind of public purview, you know, subject to the whim of changing investor appetites where today it's cost cutting tomorrow. Why aren't you investing more in growth as you're getting disrupted? You know, how would they behave in a private environment? Um, but certainly the scale of investments for a lot of these initiatives has certainly run up. And I think Metaverse over at, at Meta has been a big one. Um, now, now, there's obviously a lot of initiatives buried underneath there. But I think, you know, these companies need to take a, 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 I guess, a long, hard look in the mirror, figure out what's absolutely required of where they may see their moat being most at risk and investing in. You know, and so if it's just simply required where Google needs to spend a lot on AI to ensure that their moat around their core search business persists, uh, I'm totally fine with that. Some of these other initiatives of unlocking new revenue streams, you know, perhaps in a different environment with different cost of capital, that makes a lot more sense. But in this environment, you know, and with this cost of capital, probably doesn't as much. All right. Mark Schmulek, thank you. Thanks. Softbank shares are up nearly 12% in Tokyo year-to-date despite losses in its vision funds. And Masayoshi-san could be on the hook for nearly $5 billion personally. According to public filings, the founder and CEO set up side deals in the company's Vision Fund 2, Latin American Fund, and its hedge fund, North Star, also known as the Nasdaq Whale. That decision has now entangled Masasan's personal finances in SoftBank's losses as valuations in the public and private market plunge. However, Masa is under no obligation to repay SoftBank for many years. He, of course, has a war chest himself, John. His net worth stands at nearly $13 billion. For him, remember his 300-year vision? He likes to play in the markets. That's what he did with Alibaba. He took a bet on an unknown, very unknown entrepreneur named Jack Ma, which has led to his enormous wealth. And really, this is, this is where his ability to make these big bets comes from. Right. Does that 300-year vision also mean there's a 300-year payback plan? Like, how long does he have before he's got a... <laughs> Good question. Right? I mean... Yeah. Well, we'll see. Up next, we'll get a check on the chip sector. Applied Materials is up on results. We're also, as I mentioned earlier, going to hear from an EVP at Intel on the state of data center and hyperscalers in the cloud. Tech Check returns after this. Welcome back. Let's get a gut check on Applied Materials. It's off its highs after posting earnings. Christina Parts and Nevelis has that for us. Christina? 
Well, better than feared, so investors did cheer. You see the stock is up slightly today, but still on track to break its four-week winning streak. Revenue climbed 10% in the quarter thanks to customer Taiwan Semi, which accounts for pretty much a third of its total revenue. But only a month ago, the equipment maker Applied Materials slashed its forecast for Q4, warning about new export regulation to China. But the tone has already changed, with the company saying the impact may not be as bad. Although Applied Materials warned wafer fab equipment demand would weaken next year, its record backlog of $19 billion would help it weather the downturn. And the second major hurdle, U.S. export trade restrictions to China could mean losses of $2.5 billion in fiscal 2023 revenue. But it could claw back at least a billion of that if the United States government expedites licenses. The equipment maker group, including LAM and KLA, have rallied double digits just in the past month, which you're seeing on your screen right now. KLA, for example, up 39 percent. But Micron warning earlier this week that it's slashing production of memory chips due to weak demand means the sector isn't out of the woods just yet. John. Yeah, Christina, that's important. Thank you. And sticking with chips for a moment, I spoke to Intel's data center chief, Sandra Rivera, in a Fort Knox deep dive stream yesterday. We talked about layoffs, competition with AMD, and the Sapphire Rapids data center chip delays, why she's confident things are now on track for both that product and the sequel, Emerald Rapids, in 2023. I also asked whether the economic slowdown has affected demand for chips from cloud infrastructure providers. Even the largest hyperscalers are managing their costs and managing their capacity uh, expansion uh, plans. And and we do see, uh, for some of them, uh, a pullback. Uh, Not all of them, but but most of them are are managing very closely uh, their capacity build-outs. And I think they've been, uh, in their own earnings reports, talking about uh, maybe having that Um, the build-out be a little bit more muted than they had originally uh, planned. Um, So I do think that this macroeconomic environment that we're seeing, whether it's enterprises pulling back, um, whether it's the consumers that pull back from services that land on hyperscaler uh, clouds, uh, you know, they uh, scale back their their spending. Um, I think everyone is kind of being cautious, I would say, in terms of just how big or how fast their expansion Uh, plans are implemented. But we're still in a a high growth market. Still a high growth market. You can watch the entire interview on TechCheck's LinkedIn page or on uh, Fort Knox's YouTube channel. Dee, this is a big question for me, as I've been mentioning for a while in Q4, uh, how much of whatever the consumer does starts to have after effects in the enterprise. And it, it seems that Intel Uh, is expecting that, whether it's Mm -hmm. positive or negative. We'll see. Yeah, and certainly we look to the hyperscalers for some clues. I guess how much of that spend management she's talking about, though, John, will hit Intel versus AMD, right? I know um, they're getting their house in order, but, of course, it has been losing market share to AMD. Do you think Lisa Sue would say the same thing? (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody can see the share losses that Intel has been taking. And the, the way that Intel gains profitable share is by having better product in the market. So that's why they got to deliver in 23, both Sapphire Rapids and Emerald Rapids, which I was asking Sandra about, Dee. Yeah, all about that execution. Great stuff, John. After the break, Mark Zuckerberg says a business other than the metaverse is the company's next growth driver, at least in the near term. We will tell you what that business is. Do not go away. 
Let's get a check on shares of JD.com. Stock is under pressure this morning alongside other Chinese tech names, despite seeing revenue up 11% for the third quarter, an acceleration from Q2, where it saw revenue growth of just 5%. That was its slowest on record. Shares of JD.com have been rallying, though, up 50% just this month. More than 90% of analysts are calling this stock a buy, and it has been a wild month for Chinese ADRs, John. The K-Web still up, uh, what is it, 35% just this month. Yeah. Uh, see where it goes next. Up next, the sentencing of Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes taking place in just about an hour. We are live outside the courthouse. We're back in two. Welcome back. As the business world sifts through the wreckage of FTX and what legal consequences will be ahead for founder Sam Bankman-Fried, the sentencing in a high-profile fraud case due today. Scott Cohn is outside the courthouse, has more on what kind of time Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes might serve. Scott? Hi, John. The maximum is 20 years on each of the four counts that she was convicted on back in January for lying to investors about her blood testing startup Theranos. Uh, it's a day of reckoning for Elizabeth Holmes, who should be here any minute now, but also a day of reckoning uh, of sorts for the whole culture of Silicon Valley, where hype and hope can sometimes take precedence over substance. And that is the message that prosecutors want to send. They want to send her away for 15 years, which would be a sentence along the lines of Enron's Jeff Skilling, WorldCom's Bernie Ebers, Tycho's Dennis Kozlowski, uh, because they want to send a message to Silicon Valley, saying a significant custodial sentence will serve not only to deter future startup fraud schemes, but it will also serve to rebuild the trust that investors have when investing in innovators. That's what they say in their pre-sentencing memo. Elizabeth Holmes uh, and her team take a completely different approach. They say she's already be, been punished by a lifetime of scorn over her role at Theranos, and they say she should just uh, e either get home confinement, no prison sentence at all, or at most 18 months, uh, because they say that she still has the capacity to do good. And to back that up, 282 pages of letters from 130 of her closest friends and family. They include uh, letters from a letter from Cory Booker, the U.S. senator, who says he still considers her a friend, says that she still has the capacity to redeem herself and do good works, despite that lifetime of scorn. Uh, the, 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 there's also a letter from her, her partner, Billy Evans, who appears to confirm that they are expecting their second child uh, and says that her selflessness knows no bounds. The defense says that uh, Elizabeth Holmes should not be judged as the, the caricature that she's been made out to be in, in books and movies, someone to be vilified. Uh, instead, look at Elizabeth Holmes, the human being. This will all fall to Judge Edward Davila. He is an Obama appointee, 70 years old, on the bench for 11 or since 2011. Um, and it's really been, he's kind of held his cards close to the vest throughout the four years of this case. So we'll be interested to see what he has to say, whether he sentences her, her to prison and whether he sends her directly to prison following the sentencing later today uh, or lets her remain free on, a, on bond pending her appeal. And that appeal, guys, is a certainty. Um, yeah, we know you're, you're going to be tracking it all. Scott, thank you very much. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. 
One more thing before we go. Is Mark Zuckerberg changing his tone on the metaverse? According to Reuters, the meta chief told employees in a company meeting, quote, we talk a lot about the very long-term opportunities like the metaverse, but the reality is that business messaging is probably going to be the next major pillar of our business. The comments come amid a wave of layoffs at the company and investor concerns over Meta's big bet on the metaverse. Of course, John, that is reflected in the stock prices. We talk about a lot, down more than 60% in a year. I'm guessing you're not going to disagree with this, that there's probably more money in messaging and the potential of a super app than the metaverse. Well, I mean, I I don't know how much money is in the metaverse, but to me, if the metaverse is a very long-term bet, as Zuckerberg says, then you got to, as an investor, question the wisdom in spending upwards of $10 billion on building it out now. I mean, the graphics and rendering that you're doing now for the metaverse, are they going to be good in the very long term? Like, all that work that they're doing, in five or ten years, you're telling me they won't be able to do something better? So can they monetize it in the near term? And if they can't, why are they spending this kind of money on it, I, I think is a question investors and employees need to have. Because, boy, if you're on the messaging team building the future of the company, but the stock is being held down because most yeah. of the cash is being spent on the metaverse, you don't feel good about that. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Most of the CapEx is being spent in the metaverse. But if the opportunity is in messaging, especially that enterprise side, you'd have questions um, as an employee. But it does feel, John, like he's maybe, are we seeing signs that he's walking back those ambitions a little bit, or at least to employees and maybe in public to investors? I'm not sure. I think the signs will be if he starts spending less on it. Uh, And we haven't seen that sign yet. So, you know, don't hope, people. This is a controlled controlled company, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to do anything except stay Mark. And well, anyway, uh, have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.